and welcome to Bluegrass Stories with Katie Daly and me. I'm Howard Parker. Like so many people in the music industry, Kimberly Williams started out as a musician. She was exposed to other industry facets after a move to Nashville, Tennessee. Kimberly quickly expanded her skill set as a rigger, audio engineer, and producer for Opryland Productions. Later leaving her Opryland job and returning as a road musician, she witnessed the struggle of many bands attempting to increase band and brand recognition. Kimberly realized that many bluegrass bands lack the marketing expertise required to increase their value in the eyes of the bluegrass music consumer. That recognition prompted Kimberly Williams to launch East Public Relations in 2005. Today, Kimberly and Blake Williams helm one of the top publicity and marketing agencies in the bluegrass music industry. In this podcast, Katie Daly interviews Kimberly Williams and discusses the marketing and promotion opportunities for up-and-coming bluegrass bands. Tell us how you got into the music business. Well, I guess you could say I was literally born into it. My uh, mother and father sang together. In fact, they um, they met each other in church, and my dad says that um, he heard this beautiful alto voice behind him, and he was raised to not turn around in church. And he just couldn't wait for that service to end so he could see who that voice belonged <laughs> to. And when he turned around, it was my mama. So, oh. um, yeah, so uh, I uh, our, our family had a little band. Um, Dad and Mom sang, as I said, and Dad was a songwriter. And... Um, he had a, a dear friend that he worked with in Austin, Texas, by the name of Woody Bryan, who happened to be a real um, strong bluegrass fan. And in, in South Central Texas, where I was raised, at that time, there was, there was a virtual bluegrass desert for me. And um, so I didn't have much exposure to it. I had a lot of exposure to um, uh, German music and uh, Latino music and um, of course, Western Swing, but um, Mr. Bryan introduced my dad to uh, Josh Graves, who produced an album on him in Nashville back in 1981, and my whole family came up, and um, I got to sing on that record, and uh, Josh, uh, as I said, produced that, and dad sang six songs that were written by Mr. Bryan and six songs that he wrote himself. Mm-hmm. And we got about 100 miles from Nashville on that trip up, and I looked at the beautiful trees. It was in the fall of the year, and I fell in love. And I remember I told Daddy, I am going to move to Nashville before I die because it's just beautiful up here. And uh, I I eventually made it up in 1992. And uh, anyway, that's uh, kind of in a nutshell uh, the history of my family and our little family band. Now, uh, tell me about your education. Did you have uh, go to college, or was all your education on-the-job training? Well, I did attend college um, for a short time, um, I guess maybe about a year and a half there in San Marcos, Texas. It was called Southwest Texas State University back then. But at that time, the majority of their music program was focused, in my mind, on teaching and that was just not something I was interested in. And so I, I wanted to be, at that time, or so I thought, uh, I wanted to be a, a singer. And I had 
managed to meet enough people on various trips back and forth to Nashville to kind of get the bug. And, uh, and so I originally moved to Nashville to try to be a singer. Um, and uh, quit college, which for uh, the young people that are listening, I do not recommend that. <laughs> I encourage all people to attend college if, if they would like to and, to and to stay encouraged to do so. Um, but for me, at that time, it just wasn't in the cards and wasn't something that I was that interested in. Um, I very quickly got a job with um, Gaylord Entertainment as a server on the General Jackson um, because, as you know, when you move to a new town, you've got to get a job to pay the bills. And uh, so I did that, um, met a guy who was running sound on the General Jackson who had a contract labor company, and uh, he hired people to do tech-type work for Opryland. And um, so I did some side work for that company, and uh, that eventually led to an actual job with Opryland Productions as a stagehand. And uh, I got to work on the Hee Haw Live show in 1994 and hang around Grandpa Jones and Lulu Roman and George Lindsay for an entire year, and it was fantastic. Wow. And, uh, I imagine, yeah. I don't know anything about that work, but I imagine that's kind of unusual for a woman to be doing uh, rigging stage lights and audio engineering and stuff. Is that were you one well, of the few had, women on the? I I was. There were two women on that crew of about thirty technicians um, for Opryland at that time, and I was one of them. But you know, I I don't know. I guess because I I had two younger brothers, and I was raised on a farm out in Texas. Um, I was just always one of these people that kind of had a a, a proactive type of attitude and. Um, I don't know. I fit in really well with the technicians because that mindset, the technicians have a mindset of if there's a job to do, do it and get it done. And we're always on a deadline. And, um, and so I, I, I fit in well with, with that, that group of people. Um, and, it, and it gave me some great opportunities to learn. I mean, my goodness, I did everything from uh, – as you said, rig stage lights to uh, I ended up becoming a, the rigger for the park. Um, there was one guy that, that did the rigging, and that's, you know, where you climb up in the ceilings and walk out on the beams over the geotheater <laughs> and pull up yeah. chain motors. And I, it was a great opportunity to make extra money and to learn a new craft. And so I said, <laughs> teach me how. And, and then I became um, one of the main riggers for the park. Wow, you are braver than I am. Well, I've lost my bravery. I am now scared of heights. I'm honestly not sure how I ever did that job, but it was fun at the time. Right. I was a lot well, we do back things. Then. We do things when we're young that when we finally grow up and have sense, we think, "Oh my gosh, how did I ever do it?" But anyway. Sure. So, all right. So at this point, you're working for Gaylord. Yes, Gaylord Entertainment. Um, they had several divisions, and uh, the Grand Ole Opry Group and Opryland Productions was the division that I worked for. And I, uh, I, during that time, I worked for the concert series at the Geo Theater. And, you know, we would have Alabama come in for, I think they came in for 34, 35 days. But 
uh, that year, but we also had, we'd have Billy Ray Cyrus come in for a couple of days and Tanya Tucker and Trisha Yearwood and we had Glenn Campbell and Merle Haggard. And I, I, uh, I spent two years working that theater and watching these artists come in and do their shows and get back on the bus and leave for the road again. And I, I began to realize that I was really, really growing more and more intrigued on the behind the scenes of the concerts um, and less interested in getting out on stage and being a singer. And the reality is, is that Nashville, um, the country music scene was just, was just really not for me. Um, I, I was very traditional in my singing and, and I was raised on, you know, Johnny Horton and old George Jones and Nashville at that time really wasn't all that interested in that. <laughs> and, um, and I just, uh, I, then, then I met my husband, uh, Blake was playing bass for Mike Snyder at the time, uh, there at Opryland and we met and, um, a, a funny story that kind of, um, played a big role in making a, a big career change for me was um, I got a call to do a loadout at the Tennessee Performing Arts Center, Center for Winona Judd. And they were desperate to find stagehands to do this loadout. And they asked me if I knew of anybody. And I said, well, you know, my husband, um, he's off that day. He might like to do it. And so he went with me and we spent three uh, we spent five hours loading three tractor trailers of her lights, sound, and stage set wow. and made $50 each. And when we uh, left there, Blake said to me, honey, I know you love what you do, but I feel like that, that there might be something else for you. And, you know, what, what would you think about calling – the office tomorrow and just just seeing if there might be some other opportunities because quite honestly you're killing yourself out here <laughs> and um and i got to thinking about that and i thought you know why not and i i did i called the office the next day as as um as fortunate as i, I was there was a lady who was uh, leaving the her position with opryland productions and um they needed to fill that spot and so they called me in and I had an interview and then they hired me and I started as a as a producer for Opryland Productions and um, started producing special events for the park um, ended up managing the Roy Acuff Theater for a couple of years um, booked all of the or produced all of the corporate entertainment for the um, uh, corporations that came in and did trade shows at the Opryland Hotel, just, just a whole lot of stuff. And, I mean, the skills that you've had to be able to handle all these jobs, uh, that's pretty impressive. Because you, well, you were a young woman at that time, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, I was early 20s, um, mid-20s, and um, I learned so much. Katie, we, we had a very wonderful, wonderful group of people that worked for Opryland Productions that were just very willing, as I said, to do whatever it took to get the job done and, and to offer help and guidance. Um, it was at that time that um, I was producing the special events for the park that I worked a lot 
um, with the marketing department. And I met some people there that were in that department at the time that were just, I just fell in love with them as people, but they were so creative. And um, I found myself spending a lot of my time in the marketing department around them. And, and the director of that department said, you know, you, you spend a lot of time up here and you've, you're obviously interested in this. And I feel like that marketing is something you would be interested that, you know, that you would be good at. If, have you ever thought about trying that? And I never forgot that. Um, and I didn't at the time. Um, eventually, um, Blake and I needed to make a, a personal change and we needed to move here to Sparta. Um, his mother was starting to decline in her health and um, we just needed to get up here and be here for her um, as as her life progressed and needed somebody. And um, so at the end of 2000, we moved up here and, and I've never regretted that choice. It was a I left a great great job and a great group of of coworkers and friends behind in Nashville, but moving up here in a lot of ways, um, personally, it was the best decision we could have made for our family. But professionally, it it put me in the place of having to think, okay, what am I going to do next? Right. And um, now, Sparta is. Uh Lester Flats hometown, am I correct? It is. It's the hometown of Lester Flat, Benny Martin, and of course my husband Blake Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, his and how far is that? <laughs> how far is that from Nashville? It's about eighty miles east. Okay. All right. So eighty miles isn't that far, but professionally it was uh, the other side of the country, I guess. So what did you decide to do then? Well, my first my first thought was to set up our home. And, and honestly, that's what I did for the first, first three months we were here. Um, I didn't have a job. I, I, it was really hard for me to find something up here that kind of fell within my wheelhouse of expertise, so to speak. Um, because as you can imagine, this is a rural community in a, in a small county, and there's not a lot of um, big events happening here. Um, or there weren't at that time. Um, so what I did was set out to, to try to meet people, um, people that might be in a position to, um, you know, use me in some capacity for an event they might have in the future. For example, I introduced myself to the administrator for the city of Sparta, um, you know, just to say, hey, I'm here. This is what I can do. This is my my background. And if you guys ever, you know, are in a position to, need to throw a big event for the town or something, keep me in mind, you know, introduce myself to the, to the uh, directors of the local chambers of commerce in various surrounding counties and, and that sort of thing. Um, did a brief stint. Um, I say brief. It ended up being four years um, of transcription work for a gastroenterologist. Um, and during that time, Blake left Mike Snyder's band uh, Bobby Clark left Mike Snyder's band, and they decided to start their own group and asked me to be in it. And hmm. looking back, I, you know, I thought it was because that they wanted me to sing in the band, but I now know that they just needed a booking agent. <laughs> 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 but um, 
Blake taught me how to play bass, and four, four months later, we did our first gig. And that band, um, with Bobby uh, as a partner, uh, along with Blake and myself and Wayne Southard, lasted for, um, uh, let's see, I guess through 2009. And then Bobby um, wanted to kind of slow things down just a little bit, so he left the band and we hired a mandolin player by the name of Alex Hibbets, and then we traveled uh, through the end of two thir- uh, 2013 together. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm rambling here, but... <laughs> well, you're not. I mean, uh, don't kid yourself. They may have needed someone to book the band, but I've heard you sing, and you're a great singer, uh, in my opinion. I think you're a wonderful singer, so I'm sure you, you know, were a great I- asset to the band. I appreciate that, Katie. I never fooled myself into thinking I was considered a, a bluegrass singer, so to speak, but um, I, I certainly enjoyed those years that I got to travel and, and meet all of the people in bluegrass music um, that now I, I consider dear friends. And, and you know, I, I had said earlier that Texas was a virtual bluegrass desert for me, and it, and it was. But there were, um, oddly enough, there was a spot in LaGrange, Texas, um, that a man by the name of Philip Skaggs had a bluegrass festival twice a year. And I don't even know he, how he and my father met, but he always booked our family band. And we would share the stage with, Sonny and Bobby Osborne and Willie Cooper and Jim and Jesse. And so I did have an opportunity to be around those people back then when I was a teenager, but certainly not to the extent that, that I am now or that I was able to when we, we traveled with our band, um, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, but, it, you know, it was during that time that uh, – we were just trying to, to get our band established and look at what we needed. We were self-producing our, our CDs. Um, and I, I found out that I loved publicity. I loved public relations, which kind of goes back to the marketing um, that, that I was involved with, you know, when that, when that uh, nice lady that was the director of that marketing department said, you know, I feel like you have a knack for this. Now, marketing and publicity are two different things, but they're kind of under the same umbrella. And um, How how do they differ, Kimberly? How do they differ? Well, I think public relations is more about, um, I always, Russell Moore always laughs at me when I I say this, but I think public relations is largely about spreading the word. of of everything that your artist has going on um and there's there's a myriad of ways to do that i think marketing is more um about coming up with ways um to sell um your product or your brand if that makes sense um there there's some there's in some ways there's some subtle differences in other ways there there's some very you know, strong, defined differences. I think in bluegrass music, the two definitely probably meet a lot more than they would in, say, um, you know, any other, uh, I don't know, type of business such as, you know, hospitals or, you know, whatever. Um, But 
what was happening is we were we were having to put the word out about our band and do all of our own publicity and um people started coming up to us other artists started coming up to us and saying you know who's your publicist who's doing this for you so the guys in the band started just you know telling everybody well kimberly handles all of our booking and publicity and uh anyway long story short uh rhonda vincent's husband herb sanker booked our band for a short while and he encouraged me to maybe look at starting a public relations company as did my husband and my dad at the time Uh, my dad was still um living and uh was a big encourager for that as well Rhonda's husband encouraged you your dad and blake all encouraged you to get start a public relations company yeah yeah i mean i'd already been doing it for our band and and uh they suggested i i consider you know doing it for other artists and so um herb actually um uh had a band that he was booking at the time who was needing someone to do that for them and i'm sure you've heard of them by the name of nothing fancy uh fun group of guys and um so they were they were actually my first client and um that was in uh september of 2005 and uh i guess i must have represented them for six years but of course over the years my my company has grown and changed and um i've worked with with several different artists um but i at this at this point 15 years in um i've got four full-time uh touring bands that and um, they are russell moore and third time out we've worked together for um i'm thinking somewhere between 13 and 14 years now um i've been michael cleveland and flamekeepers publicist for about 12 years joe mullins and the radio ramblers for about um, 11 i believe and uh carolina blue i just started working with carolina blue in june of uh last year 2019. and And, you also uh, represent some festivals right I do. I I work. Uh, I handle publicity for the Milan Bluegrass Festival up in Michigan, and uh, I also assist Joe with publicity for the Southern Ohio Indoor Music Festival that happens in March and November. And then I, um, you know, I kind of feel like that everybody needs to give back when they can uh, to their communities. And so, years ago, I started um, helping the the city of sparta um with a little event that they were doing um kind of grew it and uh we have liberty square a lester flat celebration and um i i volunteer my efforts to help that event happen every october and uh and um well well well, that little event won the ibma event of the year in 2015. (laughs) it did we we are very very blessed to have uh, some great um uh aldermen here and a and a good mayor well actually three mayors now i've i've been doing it for 18 years now and um there's been three mayors that uh during that 18 year period and they have all really wanted to see this event grow and and it's done really well it has done really well and we're very very proud of it so you also are a, are a graduate of uh, the leadership bluegrass the class of 2012 you're a member of IBMA. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, you're oh, a member okay. of IBMA, Spigma, and AMA, and uh, you've been featured in Bluegrass Unlimited magazine and also in uh, Bluegrass Standard. So those are all your uh, uh, professional bona fides, which are, I have to say, they're very impressive uh, for a gal who went to Nashville thinking she was going to be a singer. Uh, you are, as I think, the cream of the crop uh, for public relations in our era area of, of bluegrass and one as you were going down your list of people russell moore michael cleveland joe mullins uh, they are really nice people they are they are like family they are you you're you're very right they are very very nice people um they've all got really really great hearts they're very, very talented. I think everybody can see that. Now, let me ask you about your job. If I'm a bluegrass artist or uh, I'm, I'm in a band or maybe I'm even heading up an event, uh, how do I know when it's time to hire a publicist? And that my, you know, running off mimeographing flyers and taping them to telephone poles isn't going to get it anymore. <laughs> At what point do I know to, to come after someone like you? Well, obviously, um, before you can start thinking about hiring a publicist, you've got to have something to publicize. You've got to have something to talk about. A lot of bands will um, will call and want to have a conversation about working together, but a lot of times they, you know, they're on the very front end of their career and you know they they don't have a new record yet uh they don't really have any shows yet um and 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 that's that's probably a little early to be thinking about you know bringing on a publicist in any capacity um my my job as a publicist for my for the artists that i have my full-time touring bands um encompasses everything from managing all of their social media accounts to maintaining their website to doing all of their tour support um, to working with their record labels when they have a new album coming out um, and a lot of times even even in just some consultation from time to time about okay what can we do next what's the next step you've done this you've done a really good job out of it what's what's down the line for us that we can try that we haven't done um, so you know Carolina Blues a, a prime example they were on a really great label with Pine Castle they um, were doing really really well with their fan base and they just they got to the point where they said, "Okay, we we got things going pretty good in a, in the in the in the right direction, but we want to take the next step to go even further." And so they added a booking agent. Um, they were booking themselves until that point. They called me, and and we started working together with the whole goal of um, getting their career on a trajectory that would take them up. To the next level um, and and I think we've accomplished that um, you know just in a little over a year and a half now we're we're looking at a uh, they've got a new album out they had um, goodness I think 
I can't even remember how many nominations they had in 2019 for IBMA. They won, uh, I believe it was four awards for Spigma earlier this year. They had um, a nomination for new artists this year, and uh, we've got them on the docket to debut at the Grand Ole Opry. They were supposed to have done that in April, but as you know, with the pandemic, everything changed for everybody. Um, but they will be making their Opry debut next next year. So that's an instance right there where they they wanted to take the next step and they recognized that adding people to their team or starting to create a team, rather, was the way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the next level, does that mean uh, more money, uh, being booked in bigger venues, uh, uh, winning awards? What, what all constitutes the next level? I think so. I think that, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, unbelievably wonderful talent out there, and there are a lot of great bands, as you know. Um, and a lot of them are, are content to, to play, you know, I don't know, 25, 30 dates a year and stay closer to home, you know, work their region, and, and continue working, you know, their day jobs. And, and that is certainly um, a choice that people have to make, and, and, and that's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I think that there's a group of bands out there that are always thinking, okay, how can we get 80 dates a year? And are we to the point now that we're working so much that maybe we can think about quitting our full-time jobs at home um, and, and seeing what more we can do? And I, th- I think that's where a band has to start looking at, as I said, you know, uh, building a team of people to work on their behalf, um, upping their rate at these festivals, and making their um, the the area, the region that they're playing um, a little more widespread. Um, not just playing playing uh, playing North Carolina and Virginia, but you know, trying to get out to California and play for the festivals out in that area, and maybe even go overseas and do do some touring. So mm-hmm. I, I think that I think when a band reaches that point, that's to me what the next level means is taking on a more a less um, part time position and more of a full time. Um, position with your band. Well, and, and unless people think that you're sitting at your beautiful farm and running all this on the telephone or on the computer, let me say I know that you have burned up that 80-mile strip of road between <laughs> Sparta and Nashville many, many, many times to be at an Opry uh, a performance, to be at an interview, like a, a WSM interview or one with Kyle Cantrell, to be there and, and offer your support to your clients. I mean, there is a, sure. you and Blake are on the road a lot in support of your clients. Well, we, we usually are. I, was, I, I just was thinking uh, this year we've only been to Nashville twice. Um, it was both times. Well, the, the first time was March 11th right before this pandemic uh, really took hold here in the U.S. And that was, um, we had gotten Joe Mullins and the Radio Ramblers on uh, Larry's Country Diner. So we went down there for that. 
And then the next time, I believe, was July. might have been June. I think it was June for Carolina Blue to do some some interviews and uh, some things for Billy Blue Records that we had set up over a couple of days. But those are the only two times we've been to Nashville this year. And honestly, Katie, I mean, I'm used to going two, three times a month (laughs) at least. So it's it's been uh, this year has been uh, interesting for everyone. But you're right. Yeah. Normally we're burning up the road to Nashville and sometimes to Knoxville or you know if there's something major going on with one of my artists um, that we need to be at, then of course we try to make plans to be there for them. Mm-hmm. So if there's someone out there listening today and they're thinking about public relations, uh, what advice do you should they I don't know, Does uh, is that a, a course offered in college, or how do you learn to do that or come up through the ranks like you did? Well, I think you can start by um, building your relationships with people. Um, you know, one thing, we had mentioned Leadership Bluegrass a while ago. Um, that is a, I really think that that is a great program. I met a lot of people when I did that in 2012 that I had not um, been able to connect with previously. And um, I I built relationships with that class um, that I still maintain, and and it's a network of people that that has grown and grown and grown. I think that, that the best advice I can give is to try to get involved with you know your your trade associations the ibma um if you've got a member or two of your band that is um really interested in the business aspect of it i would recommend that they apply for leadership bluegrass and start building those relationships um i think that when the conference comes around again i think people need to get involved whether it's virtually or whether we're able to do it in person next year i think it's a valuable tool that we've got and i think that young bands especially absolutely need to um, use those resources as much as possible and remember that the association is is for all of its members and that staff at ibma um, you know, are there for us when we when we need something or if we have questions. Um, the other thing is to call people and and ask for help. You know, I I would not be um, I wouldn't be in a position that I'm in right now had I not had a lot of help and a lot of mentors along the way. And people who didn't even realize that they were mentoring me at the time. Um, But I think that what I found is that the majority of the people out there that I have looked up to have been absolutely willing to help me whenever I've reached out. Um, You know, we, we are a small community in a way. Um, I think we're growing and I think we're getting more and more people drawn to bluegrass music and to our industry, but we're still a relatively small community. You can pick up the phone and get people to talk to you that that you have looked up to or that you um, feel like 
may be able to offer some some guidance. I mean, my goodness, I had called Doyle Lawson before and asked his advice, and the man answered the phone and was willing to give it. That's hmm. the kind of people that that is in our community. So just like I have in the past and still from time to time call and ask um, people for advice, I would just recommend that, that everyone do that because I think we're all a pretty giving bunch of people. Would I mean, don't you think so, Katie? Well, it's interesting because one of the things you have to agree to in Leadership Bluegrass is that you will accept a phone call from any, any other uh, Leadership Bluegrass graduate who calls you. It doesn't say you have to do what they ask, but you have to, you have to come to the phone and talk with them. Sure, sure. So, uh, I, yeah, I think that, that, that networking like that, and uh, also what I hear is that no, you haven't burned any bridges behind you. You still have your friends there at Gaylord and that you could probably call on uh, if you needed you know, help with that booking or, or getting to someone. I mean, that is, is a big thing. Uh, I get calls a lot about, I'd like to have a job such and such. Who do you know that, you know, could help me get my resume uh, boosted up in the line? So being able to call someone and, and, and get some help is a huge, is really huge. But for some people, it's difficult to call someone they don't know or approach someone they don't know. Well, and I would say that, that that's probably a hurdle that, that everyone needs to work at knocking over. I've, I, I've had to do that myself. Um, I've, and, I, and I think that what you'll find is that if you can just get over that hurdle, make that phone call, the worst thing that's going to happen is is that the person on the other end is not going to be able to offer you the advice or the help that you needed. But it's, I mean, it's not the end of the world. There are a hundred million resources out there at our disposal, and um, I, I've just never found it to ever. I can't think of a single instance in my lifetime where I have reached out to somebody and asked for help or advice and that that person has not been happy to to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's not always easy to do, but, but I just, I, I, think, I think that we have to do it. And, you know, you said something a while ago about not burning bridges, and I think that just comes down to understanding that we're not always going to agree about everything, but the end goal for everyone should be for everyone to be successful and enjoy what they're doing. And, and I think that as long as we keep that in mind, um, that it's, it's, gonna, it's easier to just navigate everything that we have to navigate. If we just go in knowing, I'm probably not going to agree with everyone all the time, but it's okay. It's okay. Um, and I, I think that's how you don't burn bridges. You just, you, and, and again, we're a small community. You can't afford to burn bridges in bluegrass, Katie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah, just take some things in stride, and and sometimes keeping your opinion to yourself is the best thing to do. Yeah, Might that be hard, is one, but it's the best yeah, thing to do. It it is. It it and it can be very very difficult, especially in this climate with all of us suffering from 
you know, pan, this pandemic and, and uh, you know, the various things that are going on in the world today. It, it's sometimes really, really hard to keep our, our tongue bridled, but the reality is is that um, when you – social media is a wonderful, wonderful tool, but it also can be absolutely the worst possible thing um, if you misuse it. And um, I think that I think that uh, if all of us can bridle our tongues uh, a little more and keep our fingers from hitting the post button, <laughs> I think everything <laughs> will be a whole lot better for all of us. <laughs> well, I, I I'm looking again at your website that has your mission statement, and it says East Public Relations strives to conduct business with the mindset that talent. Hard work, honesty, and a good moral compass will prevail every time. We've worked hard for years to build relationships with like-minded individuals in the entertainment industry and pride ourselves on having a solid reputation of delivering only the best in publicity services. How do you think you're measuring up to your mission statement? I think you're right on target. Well, I, th- I think that, you know, I, I have... Uh, I have read and reread that mission statement over the years, and I've often wondered if I needed to maybe rewrite it. Um, and I never do because when I break it down, I really want to work with good people. I really want to work with good people. I want, I want, I want them to have the talent because obviously if they don't have the talent to back it up, going to be hard for me to to do a good job for them but more important than that is to work with good people and I have been very very blessed to work with great people over the years Um, and I can honestly say that the people that I'm working with now and that have have stuck with me all these years are of the same mindset as as that that mission statement says they they, they try to lead their lives as best they can. They try to be fair and honest. They work hard. Um, so I, maybe that's why I've not changed that mission statement. I just can't come up with any, <laughs> any other way to say it. <laughs> I, I think it says it all. And that was Kimberly Williams of East Public Relations talking with Katie Daly. For additional information and contact information, go to the agency's website, eastpublicrelations.com. Bluegrass Stories is hosted on soundcloud.com and can be streamed on SoundCloud, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and katydaily.com. As always, thanks for listening to Bluegrass Stories. Thank you.